putting over their thoughts and understanding. We live in a culture of jesters and clowns and uh, sort, of, uh, sort of superficiality, really. We want to be amused all the time and entertained. And we don't necessarily rate wisdom very much. In fact, we probably don't even understand wisdom. For us, we tend to think wisdom is having a high IQ. Or maybe we think of a conceited individual who knows a lot and lets us all know about it and just seems to have a lot of knowledge. But wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Wisdom is not merely knowledge. It is the right use of knowledge. Here's a little definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the art of choosing the best ends and the best means of achieving those ends. Hold that in your mind when we're talking about God later on. Wisdom is the art of choosing the best ends and the best means of achieving those ends. Wisdom isn't really about information. It's about making the right choices and doing the right thing in the right way. See, knowledge is related to intellectual information, but wisdom is more about discernment. Knowledge is related to theory. Wisdom is about practice. Knowledge is mostly about the mind. Wisdom is about the mind and, equally importantly, the will, acting on the understanding. Now, our Western culture puts a much higher premium on knowledge. Eastern cultures, or some of them, would put a greater premium on wisdom or appreciate it more. And we sometimes don't quite understand that, but that actually is a safer and better policy. We live in a very strange age today, an age of a lot of talk about rights. Let me give you one example. We talk about the rights of very young people, children, and uh, young people. Now, I'm not against protecting them, for example, from abuse or hurt. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about when it comes through in things like this. Teaching, for example, our children that their opinions are as good as anyone else's. Now, I also was a teacher for 10 years. And when I was uh, being trained, and it is many, many years ago, we were really into child-centered education was the big thing. I don't know if that is quite so much today, but basically what I'm saying is for many decades in this country, there's been a huge emphasis on, you know, that everybody's opinion is as good as anyone else's. And it it not only works out in in, in saying that to children, it means that when we go round taking a a straw poll, asking people in the street, we have almost a philosophy that that's fine, that, that, that anybody in the street's opinion is as good as anybody else's. Actually, that is a very foolish attitude to have in our culture. We need to teach, for example, children that some people are wiser than other people and they need to be listened to more than other people. It's a fact. It's a fact if you understand wisdom. Some people are wiser than others. And actually, you need to work out who those are as best you can and take heed to it. So our culture's tendency to applaud the clever, the witty, the superficial, the entertaining, rather than the wise, is foolish at every level, and actually, it's a bit dangerous. So we really need to get our focus today on what real wisdom is, and of course, that will come from God. In the Bible, wisdom, and it's the Hebrew worldview, if you like, it's a biblical worldview, 
It's pretty well what I was saying earlier. It's actually very practical. Wisdom is the art of living well, of forming the correct way to live and gaining the best results. And wisdom in its fullest sense is only seen in God. But thank God it's a communicable attribute. That is something that God will share with us. Not one of his attributes that's incommunicable. We can't possibly understand what it is to be omnipresent or all those sort of things. But wisdom is something God shares. We'll get to that as we get towards the end of what I want to say because it's very important. But just bear this in mind about God. God always strives for the best possible ends and chooses the best means for the realisation of his purposes. That is how God always is. He is wise. He is never anything other than wise. Here is a Bible dictionary definition of God. God's wisdom is not only complete knowledge, but also consists in his irresistible fulfillment of what he has in mind. So God knows all things. He knows the best ends and he knows the best means to those ends and he works towards them. Let's just big it up about God for a few minutes, shall we? Let's just enjoy meditating on God before we try and even see how it affects us. Here's a sentence from Job. It's not on the PowerPoint. Job 9, verse 4. Listen to it. It's about God. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Just let... Look, that's God. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Wisdom without power is pathetic, but power without wisdom is frightening. Now, God is both. His power is vast. His wisdom is profound. God unites boundless wisdom and endless power. Our God, the creator, the true God, is endless wisdom and boundless power in unity and balance. Isn't that good? I find that exciting. There's three main areas in which we see God's wisdom. So I want to start off with a few minutes just looking at God again and thinking about it. Three main areas in which you learn that God is wise. One is creation. And I'll give you a couple of verses. They are on the PowerPoint. Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Proverbs 3, verse 19. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. Listen very carefully, though. I know most of you have believed this, but it's a truth we stand very firmly on. Creation does not testify to blind chance. Creation testifies to the wisdom of God. Now, you may say, well, there's a lot of mysteries in it. Yep, that's part of it. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. Yes, it is an amazing mixture, a complex, we're only just beginning to understand how creation sort of interlinks as we begin to wreck our planet. We begin to understand how things are affected. It's, some of you know I quite like bird watching and stuff. And there's a, a really a huge drop in um, a lot of seabird populations, guillemots and puffins and things like that. And it's quite clear that that's because of the wrong, the, 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 the sort of fish they eat are not appearing. And that's not fishing, that's to do with global warming. That, that actually, they're, they're just not able to eat. 
the sort of fish they've eaten for, 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 I suppose, centuries, if not millennia. Because things are changing. You just alter one little thing, a, a degree or something in the ocean, and suddenly everything is affected. There's a complex beauty to creation. It's, it's amazing. It's strange. It's wonderful. It tells you something about God's wisdom. God's wisdom is not black and white. It's not just sort of plodding. It's glorious. It's dancing. It's multicolored. Creation tells us about the wisdom of God. You know, there's some beautiful poetry in the Bible. I want to read one to you. Welcome to look at it. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read you a few verses. Job 28 and from verse 20. If you want to follow it and find it quickly. Otherwise, just, just listen. But if you can find it quickly. Job 28 and verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Beautiful, powerful stuff. And you can find it all over the Bible. God is the source of wisdom. Creation itself tells us something of God's amazing wisdom. But perhaps most powerful of all, redemption. We're going to look at three areas. Redemption, secondly. This tells us of the wisdom of God. Let's look at one reference there. 1 Corinthians 1. I think that will go on the screen. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has chosen, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is seen in a supreme way in our redemption and in the cross of Jesus Christ. And his wisdom continues to be seen in the ongoing work of the cross and of the growth of the church. Look at Ephesians 3, which will go on your screen, verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The redemption plan of the cross through Jesus Christ astonished angels. They were amazed. It baffled demons. The devil could not get his head around it. He didn't even know what he was doing when he was driving Judas to betray Jesus and I suspect stirring up many other men and women who had demonic activity in their lives as they crucified Jesus. He didn't understand what he was doing because the wisdom of God at its most sort of powerful, if you like, was going to be displayed through the cross. And it astonished angels, baffled demons, and it amazes us. It is amazing. God's love and mercy drove him to save sinners in a true and complete way that satisfies his justice and his holiness. You know, with our problem as human beings, our sin problem, it was quite a serious and it seemed unsolvable problem. One 
nature, human nature, could not sin and another nature deal with the suffering and the judgment and, 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 and save us. You couldn't send an angel to save human beings. In a sense, God's supreme spirit beingness, if I can put it that way, perhaps you could say couldn't have brought salvation. In order for us to be saved, a true and real human had to be the substitute. It needed someone with human nature. I think it's Thomas Watson put it this way, that God came up with this solution. Let God become a man. And the second person of the Trinity became incarnate and chose to suffer. So for fitness he shall be a man, and for ability he shall be God. It is an incredible thing, the cross. It's incredible what God did. That Jesus was God, become a man. For fitness he shall be man, for ability he shall be God. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus was like Superman and was fending, was able to deal with it. He was a true man, but he was God-man. And that was the wisdom of it all. Therefore he could die on our behalf. Therefore he could be the second man, the, the second Adam if you like, and, and produce a new race. Ones who have become born again and filled with the Spirit, changed, a new creation. There is such wisdom in the cross. Justice is satisfied. Holiness is satisfied. Yet we are justified, just as if we'd never sinned. We are changed. Christ was made sin for us, though he knew no sin himself. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross. And God condemned sin and yet saved sinners. That's wonderful. There was a wisdom that was profound. And what wisdom in the way of salvation? It is wise. By faith. You are saved by faith and not by works. So there is no room for boasting. No room for you to say, I'm saved because of my performance, my ability. There is no possibility of failure. Because you put faith in Jesus and it's all on him and through him. If any basis other than faith was required, some people would be excluded. For regardless how easy or simple you make the requirement, some would be unable to meet it. But anyone, everyone can believe. Listen to Walter Price, just a a quote. The genius of Christianity lies in its method of accessibility, for it is both universal and democratic. Anyone can believe, from the president of a university to the garbage man. Anyone can believe. Let's hear it from a slightly more colourful character, a guy called Christmas Evans, an American evangelist of the 19th century. They had lovely names in the past, didn't they? Praise God Barebones. Have you ever heard of Praise God Barebones? He's a real guy, part of the Puritans. Praise God Barebones. Come on, you parents, you can do better than some of the names you choose today. <laughs> Praise God Barebones. Well, this was Christmas Evans. Now, Christmas Evans used to say this. Listen, I can take a man, tie him hand and foot, nail him in a barrel and shout through a knothole what he must do to be saved, and he can do it. (laughs) Yeah, 
Well, what he's saying is there's nothing that person needs to do except believe the gospel. People say, oh, I can't do it. Well, I won't be good enough. And he says, I can take a man. I can tie him hand and foot. I can put him in a barrel. I can nail him in the barrel and shout through the hole the gospel and he can respond. Now, you might say, how strange. But it gets the point over, doesn't it? You just believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You put faith in him. Some of you need to do that this morning, maybe. You've been struggling to say, oh, it's too difficult, it's too difficult. Well, if you don't hurry up, I shall tie your hand and foot, put you in a barrel, nail the lid on, and shout through the hole, and then you'll have to do it. Now, actually, the point is, you just accept the truth that Jesus died for you. I believe that. I receive it. Thank you that I am totally forgiven. Thank you that your blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Thank you I am justified freely by you and your death on the cross, Lord Jesus. I believe it, I receive it, and I rejoice in it. That's it. Yep, that's it. Saved by faith alone. The wisdom of God, even in the method of salvation, if you like. And then providence. The wisdom of God is seen in what we call providence. Psalm 33, verses 10 to 11. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God's plans are never thwarted. His purposes will stand firm forever. And work through or out, work through to the conclusion through all generations. Or Romans 8.28, another reminder. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So God works his purposes out in our daily lives and the lives of our time and times. In, in history, basically. All sorts of factors are at work. There are human decisions, there, are, there is human sin, there, are demonic, there is demonic activity. But overall, God's wisdom is working in everything. Worldwide, through the millennia, God is working his purposes out as age succeeds to age. Once again, I want to just highlight some things. I'm, I'm drawing a little bit on a, an old Puritan writer. If you've never heard of Thomas Watson... Well, it's a sad really. He's a great writer, Puritan, hundreds of years ago. And good to read some of his stuff, Body of Divinity and a few other books. They're worth a read. But Thomas Watson mentions these points, or some of them, I think, are from him. How does God work his wisdom out providentially? Here's one. By affecting great things by small contemptible means. God always does that. You will always see the wisdom of God as he affects great things by small, contemptible means. There are a thousand examples, including the big ones, that he even used the nation of Israel at all. That Israel, you can't get your head around it. Why should this little people be who they are in the world history and the planet? That's one. But you could take, it replies, of course, the person of Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that. But you could take myriad examples. Gideon's army, 300, you know, only got pictures and lights. And God loves to do it his way. He loves, and he's still doing it. The whole point of this is that's how the wisdom of God is often seen in providential things. Another way God does it is by, he displays his wisdom in providence, is by causing the enemy's attacks to work for the good of his people. Now, this is amazing. 
God doesn't make people sin. He permits sin and he does not approve of it. But the Bible teaches that, that, that somehow God works, that even the wrath of man will praise him. God can and does use the sins of men to his own ends. And he's often his wisdom is seen in trumping the enemy right when the enemy thinks he's winning. In turning, as I said, the wrath of man or the schemes of the devil to his purposes, good purposes and praise. The obvious and most wonderful example is again the cross of Jesus Christ. He was definitely crucified by the free choice of wicked men. Demonic activity was involved, driving Judas and others, I'm sure. And yet out of the death of Jesus and his resurrection comes the whole glorious, wonderful, wise solution of redemption that I've already referred to. And, and the gospel and the hope that it brings. Sins forgiven, principalities and powers made a show of, triumphed over. We are rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the wonderful kingdom of light and love. And it's all through that work of the cross when darkness thought it had won. That's how God's wisdom often works. And that principle will continue to work in your life often. Let's get a little bit of that wisdom from Thomas Watson again. I like these old writers. I like the way they write, actually. So listen to this. It's not, I don't think this one's on the screen. The wise God can turn by divine chemistry affections into cordials. Oh, afflictions, sorry. <laughs> afflictions into cordials. I hope that made you listen because I got the word wrong. Listen. The wise God can turn by divine chemistry afflictions into cordials. A chemist can take several poisons and so temper and mix them as to make a medicine. So God can make apparently deadly attacks, difficulties and afflictions cooperate for the good of his children. Now that is a truth, brothers and sisters. And we need to sort of rest in faith on it sometimes. Let's let God be wise in providence. Thirdly, in providence, God shows, loves to show his wisdom when human wisdom and strength fail. So often it's at our lowest point that God's wisdom is most evident. When our strength is gone, his grace comes in. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. This is something we need to look for in life. It is often a true principle that when we've run our steam, then God's wisdom comes through. Another point, God's wisdom is seen in bringing to nothing the wisdom of this world. Job sums it up again, the book of Job. He catches the wise in their craftiness. God loves to sort of outmaneuver human wisdom, philosophers, politicians, movers and shakers. He loves to do it. And he does do it frequently. It never ceases to amaze me and bless me when I think of history. Just the, the scan of history. And I, my imagination often goes to these sort of things when I'm reading and praying. And, thinking, and I realise God operates the same all the time. Here's one example. Imagine you're back in the first century in the Middle East or in the Mediterranean area and you go to Rome, I don't know, let's choose a time, 70 AD, I don't know, sometime like that, sometime in the first century, 70 AD, and you go to Rome and you say to the senators in the Rome, in Rome of all places, you say, I just want to say to you guys, in 2,000 years' time, practically nobody on the planet will know any of your names except a few esoteric scholars. 
Very few people will have a clue what you've done. And some of your poets, they'll be a little better known, but only a few of them, only again by a few scholars in ivory towers. But while you sit here, in one of your prisons, there is a little Jew in one of your prisons. And you're probably going to execute him, your emperor, soon. And in 2,000 years, millions of people will know his name. Probably millions will be called by his name, Paul. Millions will read what he is writing right now in one of your prisons. And probably a third or more, a half of the world population, which will be astronomical by the standards of the first century, would have some vague knowledge of this little Jew in one of your prisons. They would would probably take you out and execute you, think you were a raving lunatic and you hadn't a clue. Look, we're the clever guys, we're the philosophers, we're the movers and shakers in the Roman Empire, thank you very much. Our poets are wonderful. What are you talking about? Well, that is the wisdom, the amazing wisdom of God, isn't it? Just demonstrating the history that God uses the Apostle Paul. And what a mover and shaker he's been in history, used by the Holy Spirit. And how, in a sense, his name is honoured and used. Look, I've just illustrated. God loves to do that. He loves to show up the, the wisdom of this world as folly and foolishness. He loves to sometimes even use that very wisdom to undo us. So let's talk a little bit now about understanding God's wisdom. Because we talked about God's wisdom on the big sort of canvas, if you like. Let's talk a little bit about understanding it. Because it is sometimes hard to understand. We never fully plumb the depths of God's wisdom. It's a little bit past our finding out, as the Bible said it is. His ways are not our ways. They are much higher than our ways. But thank God he does reveal his ways to us. Wisdom is one of his communicable attributes. It's something we can, we can get a grasp of and we can even know something of it in our own lives. And one of the most important things is to understand what is the end to which God's moving. That helps a little bit, a lot of it really, to understand how God works. You see, many people wrongly think that God's main goal is to create a trouble-free life for all the human beings, irrespective of what they've done, morally or spiritually. And so there's a sort of general, and Christians could be like this, a general conclusion that anything painful or upsetting indicates that God's wisdom isn't quite working or maybe his power or both aren't quite up to it. Because we assume that the goal must be that we all feel great all the time, no matter what we do. But actually God's goal is not that. When God made mankind, he made men and women to be in relationship with himself. That's how we were made, Adam and Eve, to love him to respect and obey him and out of a life of intimacy with God and inevitable obedience to his ways, men and women would live a wonderful life in a wonderful world. Now that was broken by our sin and rebellion. But the principle is the same. The best end is for you to know God and enjoy him forever. And your full pleasure and enjoyment comes out of fully enjoying God. And he knows the best end is your harmony with him and with his ways. And that is best for all. That is still what he's after. That is the real glorification, if you like, that God has in mind for us. And it will be in its fullest extent in the new heavens and the new earth. When we are in harmony with him, we are made to be like Christ Real individuals, real John Groves, is saved, 
If it wasn't John Groves that was saved, it wouldn't be salvation. I've said that before. Real John Groves is saved and is changed to be a Jesus-like John Groves. Wow, that would be great. And to spend my time through eternity in the presence of God, not just floating around a cloud. It'll be glorious. There'll be so much we don't understand now that we understand then. There'll be worlds to rule and and things to do, but, but the thing will be in total harmony with the living God. All in, he will be the light that we all centre on. And that is the best thing. And that's fundamentally what God's working towards. So God's immediate objectives in life are somewhat different to some of our immediate objectives. They are things like this. To draw individual men and women to himself. To make them aware of their sin and failure and weakness. And actually to bring them to salvation. But even as Christians, it is to change us from one degree of glory to another. He's interested in our character, our glorification, rather than our comfort or our career. And so actually, those things are useful, and God will bless you, but he's, his goal is to make you like Jesus. His goal is that you will enjoy him and get to know him. He wants us to show forth his grace and his glory in our lives. He wants the church to do that, to make us like Jesus. He wants to prepare the church as a beautiful bride for Christ. That somehow is his goal that he's working towards throughout the world. He understands the battles with darkness. He even uses those battles. And he wants us not to be overwhelmed with darkness, but to find that we can win and push back the darkness. The kingdom of God will shake all other kingdoms. It will be the one that stands at the end. And it's his kingdom that must be what we seek. We seek first his kingdom. And then all these other things are added to us. These are the wisdom of God goals. These are what God's thinking about as the best ends that he's moving us towards and aiding us towards it. Obviously, part of that will be spreading this gospel throughout the world. And Jesus Christ himself is a central feature of what God is doing. Jesus is central to God's purposes. You could say the wisdom of God centers on Jesus Christ. So God will always be drawing us to those themes. So everything God does in our lives has to be understood against where he's aiming for, what he's doing. Now, also, we need to remember this. When God is doing all this, he's working with very poor material. And it's me as well as you. Okay? Now, sometimes we get really uptight. Why doesn't God do this? Have you ever stopped and thought, what a lot of wallies we are? I mean, have you ever read the the Gospels and seen the disciples? Have you ever thought for ten minutes about yourself? And yet when some people come out, why doesn't the church do this? Why doesn't the church do that? Church let me down here. Church let me down there. Hang on on a minute. The church is a bunch of people just like you. That's what it is. It's a bunch of people just like you. And here's a little secret. The leaders are pretty much just like you as well. They get tired, they get grumpy, they do the wrong thing sometimes, they don't always notice you because they're busy with themselves, and you know, so on and so forth. Now, we all try, by God's grace, to to be changed and are being changed, but sometimes, remember the material he's working on, with you and me. But God is working these purposes out, and quite a lot of his energy and time, if I can put it that way, with God, is on making us to be what he wants us, moulding us as clay. That's quite a lot of what he's interested in with our lives. And so he's working with us, if I can put it this way, within the confines of our accountability and our choices. Our choices are real choices. God somehow in his wonderful, wise way works with that material to do what he does. But he doesn't make us robots. We are not robots. And he works with us 
as we are. So he woos us and teaches us and he's patient. He does it with the children of Israel. They should have gone in the first time. He's prepared to wait 40 years for the next generation. 40 years is nothing to him. He's got his purposes and plans. Bit of a something to the people who didn't get in and died in the wilderness. But, you know, God's on a different sort of plane. And and in actual fact, God is very prepared to wait sometimes. We have to learn to cooperate and work with him. We need to learn God's wisdom. How do we get a slice of his wisdom? Let's look at this as we finally, final section of what I want to say. How do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? How do we, how do we, what what I'm really driving at is how do we harmonize with what God's doing? We need to harmonize with how God works. We will make the whole thing a lot better when we understand God's wisdom and work with it. Well, here's just a quick few pointers. How do we get wisdom? By reverence for God. And it says in Proverbs 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9, verse 10. Now, divine wisdom can only come to us when we are humble and teachable. You will never get wise until you are more concerned about what God thinks of you than what other people think of you. I mean, I know that from personal experience. I I, I tend to have learnt some wisdom, and I tend to have not learnt some wisdom. And if I go back and analyse myself, this is a basic principle. When I put fear of God above all other fears, I learn wisdom. I really do. And that can apply to literally regard, say, for people's concerns more than God's concerns, but it can apply to literal fear. When I literally fear something, and I do sometimes, more than I fear God, that's when I lose wisdom. The fear of the Lord is always the beginning of wisdom. Hear that. It's always. Where does wisdom start in this situation? Well, it starts with the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. There's another great verse in Proverbs, which is not on the screen. 11.2, with humility comes wisdom. Hear that. With humility comes wisdom. The Bible keeps telling us this. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. In simple terms, pride equals stupid. Humility equals wise. I mean, you wouldn't say that. Like, you know, did you ever read Animal Farm? Four legs good, two legs bad. Well, it's a pride, stupid, humility, clever. You know, get it as simple as you can. Because we are so full of pride. But always, pride is about us and me. And, and you'll never receive the wisdom of God. You've got to be humble. That brings wisdom. And the next point, which is probably linked to it. How do we get wisdom? By asking for wisdom. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Aha! There you see, you're not going to ask if you haven't already got a bit humble and a bit of the fear of the Lord. So they sort of like tie together, don't you? If you haven't woken up to the fact that you aren't as clever and right as you thought you were, you'll never ask for it. But most of us have problem. It's amazing Amazing how even, and I'm, I, I know it happens because I'm like it, so I really am. So, how even when we are stupid and making a mess of things, we still think we're clever and right. I mean, I, I know that about my own heart. I never cease to be amazed as a pastor. You know, people's lives are absolute mess. 
And I think they'll think they're clever and right. People, absolute shambles, and they still come and tell me how to run the church. They can't even run their home. Can't even run their day. I'm not, I'm not being proud and saying, well, you have nothing to say to me. I'm just saying, I'd like to have a taste of humility, a little touch of humility, please. Have you noticed the mess you're in? Might you not be a little humbler about the advice you're giving? Aren't we all, I mean, you know, how, how, don't, how do we ever do that? Isn't it amazing? But we've got to be humble enough to say, God, I need some wisdom to run my home. I need some wisdom to run my life. I, I need some wisdom, and God, I, I lack it. Please give it to me. Well, if you ask, in that attitude, you will receive. How else do we get wisdom? By receiving God's word. Now, they're all a bit tied together, I guess. Because much of God's wisdom is revealed to us here in his word. Here's Psalm 119. I love this. Psalm 119 and verse 99. Oh, I rather like the number there. It looks quite pretty, doesn't it? 1199. Yeah, I don't know. It somehow blesses me to see that. Okay. I have more insights than all my teachers. Listen to that. I have more insights. Some of you students, young people. I have more insights than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. You can be cleverer than your teachers. Woo! We thought you were anyway. But, properly so, if you take regard to God's word. It's not about you or brain power. It's about taking notice of God's word. Because I meditate on your statutes. You know, do you want to know the wisdom of God? I'd love to know the wisdom of God. Well, if you've got a Bible in your hand right now, you've got a huge slice of it on your lap or in your hand. It's right here. Right here. Read it. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Believe it. Live by it. Find the good easy bits. Oh, it's very difficult. What are you reading? Well, I started in Genesis. Well, let, let me give you a little bit of advice. Read a psalm every day. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Just do that until you finish. Keep Read Proverbs several times. You'll do Proverbs in a month. Read psalm every day and a chapter of Proverbs every day. And you will get wisdom about living as a human being, living towards men, and living towards God. You really, really will. A psalm a day and a chapter of Proverbs a day. Or just go into the New Testament and read through Luke's Gospel, say, followed by the book of Acts. Read about Jesus, then read about the church, and just learn from it. Or read, go into Romans and get, get your head around some of the wonderful teaching there, or Ephesians, or whatever. You will soon know how to behave and live if you take it seriously. Read Ephesians, if Romans is a bit long for you. And, and Ephesians is a glorious book. Do you know, I just noticed, this is, this is a by your way, just, just noticed, I've got a lot of old Bibles, and I was reusing one for studying this. Yesterday I noticed this, that my pages of Ephesians are loose and fall out of, I think it's two or three of my old Bibles. So when I was reading, I want this Thompson chain references, and I've had it for 20, 30 years, and the Ephesians bit fell out. I said, oh, that's funny. And it, and it falls out of another Bible. I know, it tells me that over the 30, 40 years, I have constantly come back to Ephesians. Just come back, read Ephesians. You want wisdom? Read Ephesians, read Psalms, read Proverbs, and you will get wisdom. You will get wisdom. It comes from God's word. Let's just, as we come towards the end, have a, word, a, word, a sort of word of warning. Sort of warning. It's not, it's a, it's a, hopefully it's a wise warning. And I'm really grateful to Jim Packer for this illustration. But I think it's a brilliant one. 
Having God's wisdom is not like York signal box. It is like driving a car. That wasn't a quote, by the way. Having God's wisdom is not like York signal box. It's like driving a car. There you are. You're all blank. I thought you would be. Let's just explain. I knew it needed explaining. A lot of Christians think God's wisdom is like York signal box. Now, Jim Packer said, I went once to York signal box and it's awesome. This is York. It's a big train station. You know that, don't you? Lots of trains coming in and out. York signal box is a huge room and it's got it all there in lights. You can see the trains coming in. You see the trains going out. You understand why that train is is against the red light. When you're in the train, you think, why are we sitting here for five minutes? When you're in the signal box, you see that the main line to Glasgow is coming through. And that's why you're sitting on that line. And you can see that if you know the wisdom of it all, ooh, we think that's wisdom. It's all there. I can see it all. I can see why George Bush is president of America. I can see what's happening in Iran. I can see why... Which the family church does that. I can see the whole thing. Now, many Christians think that's what they're striving for in wisdom. They want to have a life that's somehow like York signal box, where every detail is clear to them. They can keep looking into the book of providence, as Jim Packer calls it. That is what's happening in the world. And they can understand international, national, local, church things like that. I want the big picture. I want to be able to see where all the lights are going. Oh, that's why it's up there. (laughs) Those poor little souls don't know why they're there. I do. That's wisdom. No, it's not. Wisdom is like driving a car. Real godly wisdom is given just because we won't understand everything. The whole point of real wisdom is that you won't understand everything that occurs in your life, but you will know how to handle it. Real wisdom is that you just the fact is you won't understand it all. You'll never have a York signal box perspective, but you will know how to handle it. When you're driving a car, what matters is the speed and appropriateness of your reactions to things. What matters is the soundness of your judgment about the options that a situation gives you and the consequences of a rash mistake. When you're driving a car, what matters is that you have an easy familiarity with the basics of brakes and steering and gears so that you're not overconscious of those, but you're constantly using them and adjusting to the situations that come your way. You do not keep analysing. I wonder why the road zigzags here. Is it to do with the geography, the contours? I wonder why they didn't build it differently. You're not still saying, why is that idiot in the middle of the road? I wonder if they're over 80. I wonder if they're under 18. I wonder if their mother's just been cross with them. I wonder if they are talking on their mobile phone. You'd be a fool to drive like that, wouldn't you? I wonder why that van is parked in that inconvenient position. I wonder why the man didn't think of that. And I wonder why he didn't put his hazard lights on. I wonder this. I would like to know how that fits with that. You'd be balmy. When you're driving... Your wisdom is to negotiate the myriads of things that come successfully to reach your destination as quickly and as safely as possible, isn't it? That's what the real wisdom of life is like. That's what God's wisdom is. It really is, brothers and sisters. It's not about understanding everything about history or your life. 
having a York signal box perspective of everything. Actually, God in his mercy does show us these things. We've already touched it. So often afterwards, you can see how he wove things together. Amazing. And it is glorious when we see it. But actually, you don't live majoring on that. You don't live pouring over the book of Providence, trying to understand every little detail of why on earth did that happen. What you do is you understand how to live, how to pray, how to be in faith, how to, how to trust, how to be like Jesus, how to drive your life and meet the obstacles that life throws up, negotiate the things that get in the way, handle the sudden snarl up and work out what on earth is happening in terms of now and how I get round it, not why is it snarl. You know, that's, do you see what I mean? I think it's a great, it's a Jim Packer illustration, but I've always found it helpful. I read it years ago. Because actually, wisdom really is like the driving a car thing. It's realistic. It's clear-sighted about life and about God. We aren't ruled by sin-bred unrealism about life or ourselves. That we're, you know, we've got a, a humility, not a cynicism, a humility and a balance. And it makes us live right. So let's finish by reading a passage which sort of sums that up. If you've got your Bible, let's read together. We are literally finishing on this. Read James 3 and verses 13 to 18. Because this is a little help to understand what God's wisdom is in practice for us on the ground. James 3 and verses 13 to 18. Just have it open if you've got a Bible. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Do you know, I want to be like that. I really do. I want the wisdom that comes from heaven, don't you? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. I want to be full of good fruit. I want to be a peacemaker who sows in peace and raises a harvest of righteousness. I want a harvest of righteousness in my life. 